I'd like to uh, read for you a passage of scripture. Uh, it's a little lengthy, so if you'll hang with me, you'll see it on the screen. But it's, uh, it's Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 13. I'm going to read all the way through verse 29. So, um, but you brought a snack. So, Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you'll recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not, does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would. Would you find a couple of people? Tell them they're awfully good looking. Not awful, but just awfully good looking. And you're glad to see him today? if you want to take your seats. Uh, if you're brand new today, we are thrilled that you're here. Uh, there's a welcome card in your seats or even in the back. I want to encourage you to fill that out if you're brand new. We just want to get to know you, but you can drop that at the, the desk as you leave today in the foyer. We've got a gift for you. And uh, that Proclamation Gospel Choir, I don't know if you saw that from Olivet Nazarene University, they're going to be here on the 29th. Uh, there's, if I'm understanding right, 80 students that will be up here on this stage and it's pretty hopping, and it's going to be amazing. There's a possibility, and I, I know I kind of put us out there, that we might need to house 80 students the night before. So if you're interested in hosting four, six, 80 students in your home on that Saturday night, the 28th, uh, we can cram a few in our house, but uh, if you're interested, there's still some logistics. They may show it's only an hour away, but they may come early on Sunday morning, but We'll, we'll kind of see, we'll play by ear, but it'd be nice if I had in my back pocket a few people that were like, yeah, I can, I can take 20, Pastor Rich, it's not a big deal, so feed them, pay for their bill, their school bill. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> so some of the people that I admire most in life 
are people who do CrossFit, which is an amazing way to start a sermon, is talking about CrossFit. So if you do not know what CrossFit is, it's because you likely don't know anybody that does CrossFit. Because the running joke is, if you know somebody that does CrossFit, the reason you know is they tell you that they do CrossFit. That's just kind of the thing. It almost feels like a cult, a little bit. But uh, CrossFit is this, it's ultimately, CrossFit is designed to make you into an endurance weightlifting monster. That's, that's what CrossFit is, is about. And, and it turns you into somebody who regularly does pull-ups, you do power snatches, uh, you do you bloody your shins because you're doing box jumps, which I don't know where that practical skill comes in in life, but that's, that's what you do, and you rip up your shins, you rip the skin off your hands from hanging on bars and doing deadlifts all the time and all this kind of different stuff, and then you pass out on the floor because you're completely exhausted. That's what CrossFit is. Sounds like a blast. Sounds like a party. Sounds like a party. Okay, then there's the burpees. Don't even get me started on burpees. How many of you have ever done burpees? Burpees is like the Ten Commandments in CrossFit. You have to understand them and do them. So burpees are burpees. They're horrible. And then the diet. Usually the diet consists of chicken breast, broccoli, and rice. Three things I've never in my life ever been excited about. Ever. You do anything you want to a chicken breast. I don't get excited about it. But that's the diet. And so this is what you do if you're going to do this. Now, I know all of this because for a year and a half, back around 2017, Shelly and I were considered, this is funny to say, this is really funny coming out of my mouth, CrossFit athletes, okay? Because if you do CrossFit, they're like, hey, you're an athlete. I'm like, okay. I mean, if you want to call me an athlete, I'm not at that place where I'm going to call myself one. But you're a cross, CrossFit athlete athlete. And so we did it, man. I mean, we jumped in. Admittedly, it's the healthiest I've been in my entire life as an adult was 2017. It was absolutely amazing. And uh, I admired the CrossFit athletes. I read their blogs. Uh, I did the diet. Uh, I did the workouts. I subscribed to their Spotify playlists while I did the WODs, the workout of the days. I, uh, I learned all the language. I knew what my PRs were, and I, do, I knew what my benchmarks were, and I knew all the snatch, lift, grabs, pulls, all the whatever those things are that I needed to know to be a part of the CrossFit community. And I became their friends, uh, and it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I even became their friends on Facebook. But, but I did not end up following them. Now, I have nothing against people who do CrossFit. I want to make sure you understand that these are some of the best people that I know. They're absolutely amazing at what they do. Um, but I'm not interested in being able to do handstand push-ups anymore, which is like a thing, okay? I, I, I have no, there's no like innate desire in me to flip over tractor tires or be able to deadlift a small sedan. I don't, I don't need to be able to do those things. Those are skills I just don't need to have. And there's a lot of price that you have to pay if you're going to do those things. And uh, ultimately, um, I realized that if I was going to follow these people, I was going to have to be all in. CrossFit's not something you do once a week. It's something that you do multiple times a week. I'd have to be all in. And for about a year, Shelly and I did really, really good. We were at this sweet spot in our life where our schedule allowed us to carve out an hour, a ha hour and a half a day for like three, four days a week. And we were cranking it. I mean, we were doing really, really good. 
but for us, we found ourselves at the end of it really admiring more than following. We admired it. We admired them, but we weren't necessarily at a place where we were going to make the commitment to follow that lifestyle. And so in a very real way, we kind of unfollowed. We unfollowed. We don't read the blogs. We don't work the diet. We don't do the workouts. We admire them. Their commitment is absolutely amazing. We just don't follow them. And there's a difference between admiring and following. Admirers applaud. You know, admirers are amazed at what they see. They applaud. Followers, they commit. That's what a follower does. They commit. So people admired Martin Luther King Jr. They did. But not, not very many of them sat in a jail in Birmingham with him. And there's a whole lot of people that admired Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa's like, right? A lot of people admire Mother Teresa, but not enough to like move and sell everything and go live among the dying and the diseased in Calcutta. Right? That's different. There's a different level there. And that requires what we are looking at today, which is commitment. Commitment. What does it mean to be rooted in commitment? So the passage from earlier, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, there's these two groups of people that heard Jesus preaching this message. They heard Jesus teaching this. Now, one was the crowd. That was the crowd. And at the end of it, you read that this crowd was absolutely amazed at the teaching of Jesus. First of all, the things that he was saying, the things that, they, that he was doing because they were watching were, were just amazing. At the same time, too, he kind of talked smack against the religious leaders, which they were like, yeah, all right, we like that. And so they were amazed. They were thrilled about this. Okay? They voted, and they were like, yeah, he's a better speaker than the teachers that we, we've normally been hearing, so we're going to like this one. We're, we may even come back next week if he does a really good job. If he rings the bell enough, we may show up next week. But for some people in that crowd that heard Jesus that day, there was the second group. And for the second group, something happened. It moved from admiration of what Jesus was saying. It moved from admiration of what Jesus was doing. It moved from admiration of what, who Jesus said he was. It moved beyond that to something different, something else. They wanted more out of this. They heard freedom and purpose in the words of Jesus. They heard freedom from guilt. They heard freedom from shame. They heard, they heard what it was like to have a new song and sing a new song. And they also heard what it was like to be a part of something that was a little bit bigger than what they were used to. Something more. Something powerful. Something meaningful. They heard those things. And so all of a sudden you've got this group of people where it began to be a compulsion. It was a compulsion instead of a click on a like button or a retweet. It became following is what it became. And following meant something more. An example, a good example, I think, is, is John chapter 3. Most of us know John chapter 3 because John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes shall not perish, have eternal life. We, we know that verse. But John 3 really centers around this man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a religious leader. Okay? And uh, he's well known. And it tells us in John chapter 3 that Jesus is in that area and Nicodemus sneaks out under the cover of darkness. He comes out at night 
to go see Jesus because he's heard what Jesus is saying. He's heard what Jesus is saying about himself. He begins to kind of be intrigued. He's a fan. He's an admirer, but he's an admirer in the sense that he doesn't want to be revealed. So he comes in the cover of darkness. Scripture tells us in John 3, 2, he came to Jesus at night. And he said to Jesus this, he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with them. So he admired Jesus and had questions. He was a fan, but he comes to Jesus at night. He didn't want to risk losing his influence. He didn't want to risk losing his status among the religious leaders. Because by then they were kind of, we don't like Jesus. He's messing with our stuff. And so uh, he, he didn't want to lose out with his friends. He didn't want to lose his social status, his religious status. So he sneaks out, and Jesus, he kind of calls it for what he is. He's like, look, Nicodemus, you're going to have to be born again. In other words, you're going, to help, you're going to have to let me use my spirit to transform you from the inside out so that you're a new person, brand spanking new, and then you're going to have to publicly associate with me. That's what this is going to have to look like. You're going to have to follow me, identify with me. You're going to have to give up a whole lot of things if you're really interested in following me and being new, being new. And Nicodemus, by all accounts, I think does. We don't kind of see how this all plays out in John chapter 3, but actually after the crucifixion of Jesus, there's no tomb to bury him in, so Joseph of Arimathea and, and one of the gospels tells us Nicodemus even pitches in and they go together to provide a tomb for Jesus to be buried in. So at some point, Nicodemus went in. He went in. He went public in professing that he believed Jesus was who he said he was. He became a follower. Another example is the rich young ruler. Matthew 9, 16 says, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? So this man, this rich young ruler, had seen everything that Jesus had done and heard everything Jesus was saying. Uh, he didn't want to miss out. He saw the crowd following Jesus, and I'm clearly, anytime there's a crowd, that must be the right thing, right? I mean, anytime the crowd is doing something, that must be legit. So the crowd is doing this, and as the rich young ruler, he didn't want to miss out on whatever it was that was going on. So what do I got to do? What, what do I need to do, Jesus, to get in on this game? How do I... How do I have eternal life? What do I have to pay? What do I have to do? What do I have to say? You know, is there speech that I need to write? Is there a way I need to vote? Is there, what do I need to do in order to get eternal life? And Jesus says one thing. Go sell everything to the poor. Go, go sell everything and give it to the poor. Bless people who don't have with what you have. Sell it all and give it to the poor then follow me. Okay, scripture says that he walked away. Clicking like and follow are two different things. They're two different things. Following always comes at a price. Always comes at a price. And if you take more than a skimming look at the New Testament, you find out that Jesus does this all the time. He does this all the time. We, it, it dumbfounds me, even in my own life, how easily I read some of these really great, you know, Jesus is the good shepherd. We, we, we have all these great stuff. How easily we avoid some of the hard stuff that Jesus talks about. Like, go sell everything and give your money to the poor. 
Woo! Everybody signs up to show up on that Sunday, right? Okay, so it's amazing to me how, how, how easily we skim over some of these harder things that Jesus has to say. But he says them. Following comes at a cost. He, he, Jesus describes a life of fullness and blessing and meaning and even power. Jesus talks about you and I having power. But then he says, if you want that, I mean, you're going to have to go all in. You're going to have to make a commitment. You're going to have to get rooted in your commitment to me. Enter in through the narrow gate, he says. It's small, but it's the way. The narrow gate. What's the narrow gate? What's the way? Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Anyone who's going to get to the Father goes through me, and I'm the narrow way. What's the wide gate? The wide gate is the crowd. Man, there's a good teaching. There's a great show. I might even show up next week. I'm not going to change, though. Why would I change? Now, I did not preach this, just so you're aware. Jesus did. <laughs> and he does this over and over and over again. This is the Jesus that we sing to. The Jesus that we sing about, the Jesus that you and I say that we long to know. I want to know this Jesus. I want to know him more and more. This is the Jesus that we want love and mercy. This is the Jesus that we want grace from. Don't you want grace from Jesus in your life? Don't you want forgiveness in your life? This is the Jesus we want these things from. And Jesus is so good, he gives those things to us. Like he, he gives those things to us without condition. We just have to come and receive. Admit that we have a need, and, he re- and we receive it. And he gives those things to us, grace and mercy and forgiveness. But he, did never, he never said, hey, I'd really appreciate it if you'd like me. He never said that. If you could hit that like button, that'd be awesome. We'll enter you into an iPod giveaway or something. iPod. They don't, we don't even make iPods anymore. What am, who am I? I don't even know who I am anymore. Okay, hit the like button, or it'd be great if you admired me enough to come back next week to hear my profundity, my, my, my eloquent speech. It would be awesome if you would do it. He never not once said that. It said, he said stuff like, you kind of need to die to yourself and pick up a cross and follow me. That's what he said. He said stuff like that. He's not looking for admirers. He's not looking for likers. He's looking for followers, and that's different. It takes commitment. There's no in-between with Jesus, and the reason I read the whole section of Scripture is because he, just, he paints a huge picture here. There's a narrow gate. There's a wide gate. There's no medium, like, extra-large gate. There's only a double extra-large, and there's a small. <laughs> there's... There's no middle gate there. He says there's, there's a narrow road, there's a broad road. There's no middle road. There's no middle road, a third road. There's a good fruit tree, and then there's another fruit tree that's not very good good fruit tree. There's no medium tree that makes some fruit that just a few people like. You're either making good fruit or you're making not good fruit. There's no third tree. There's true disciples he talks about, and then there's false disciples. There's no third category. There's a house built on a rock, a life built on a rock. Then there's a house, a life built on sand. There's no third house. He makes this comparison all the way through to help us to understand. And one reason that our focus this year 
is rooted, rooted, is because it is so easy to build a crowd filled with admirers. It's really easy. Build a crowd filled with admirers. But when the challenge comes to truly follow, things change. Things change. Jesus spent so much time on this. I'm going to guess that this is a universal human experience. The fact is, Jesus, he, um, he commanded a crowd. It's really amazing. This one individual who had the ability to pull a crowd together is the one who, in the end, had one disciple at the cross when he died. Okay. So Jesus had the ability to pull a crowd. At one point, he fed between 5,000 and 7,000 people. They come to hear everything that he had to say. So Jesus was, and this was a good deal, you got dinner and a show with Jesus. Okay? So it was absolutely amazing. Not bad. But do you follow Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? I mean the real love and grace Jesus, but also the pick up your cross and follow me Jesus. Because that's what following looks like. Something happens, I, I, I get this, the closer, and I, I understand maybe, maybe this is why some people don't like me. I understand that the more we talk about this, the more uncomfortable people get. I get it. I totally understand. I totally get it. Something happens the closer you get to Jesus. Something happens the more you hear his words about everything, not just some things. Something happens, and it starts to get uncomfortable because it starts messing with your social group. It starts messing with your idea and perception of what you want people to think of you. It starts messing with all kinds of stuff. How you manage your job or your finances, it messes with that. It messes with your plans for your life. The closer that you get to the heart of Jesus means that you might see people differently than you want to see them. You don't get to filter people by how they vote. Period. You just don't. All of a sudden, the closer you get to the heart of Jesus, the more you surrender to him, the more you give yourself to him, the more you actually do follow. The more you realize the cost. It's one thing to sing. It's one thing to attend. It's one thing to admire. It's another thing to truly follow. I was thinking about this earlier this week. In, in a way, there's not much that's changed in 2,000 years. Uh, the, the, Jesus had this problem. <laughs> well, he was still alive, uh, you know, of, of people really wanting to go deep and attach themselves to him. But I think there's one thing that's changed that makes our situation today in 2023 kind of unique and different. And it has to do with platform has to do with platform. If I admire enough, if I like enough, there's no shortage due to social media of eyes that see what I like or eyes that see what I admire. My admiration of Jesus can be exceptionally public. In fact, I'm standing here preaching right now and at some point today, this is going to go out on the interwebs and, and everybody will be like, wow, he really likes Jesus. But do I follow him? You see, you and I, we can, we can create our Spotify playlist of our best Jesus jams. 
and we can do anything that we want to do, and we can plaster it all over social media all we like, and we can re-quote different speakers, we can put different passages of scripture on our Facebook page, you can do all kinds of things that you want to do, you can, you can create this online platform of your deep admiration and deep love and deep like of Jesus, and it creates this idea that, wow, that person is a really profound follower of Jesus. All the while, Jesus is standing to the side, not wanting your likes or your retweet, retweets, or he's really glad that you really like that scripture, even though you've taken it out of context, but that's okay. And all of a sudden, he's just standing to the side saying, actually, what I really would like is your heart. What I really want is your heart. But the catch is, if you give him your heart, if he's got everything, you don't get to choose anymore what he does with it. That's the catch. And I think that's why Jesus has so many likes and not as many followers. Is because when you give it to him, you don't get to decide anymore what happens. It's not like Jesus is not clear about what this looks like either. He does not color it. He doesn't pretty it up. He doesn't decorate it. I mean, he says, in this world, you have trouble. He says, take heart. I've overcome that. I've overcome the world. He says, pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. And yet, the most rooted people that I've ever known in my entire life have settled this very issue. They don't look anymore to opinion or platform. They don't look to personalities. They don't even look to their friendships for approval. But they look to Jesus. They look to Jesus alone for how to live. They look to Jesus alone for how to be. Pastor Ben's going to talk more about that next week. But today I want to give you an opportunity to move from admiration to following. I want to ask you to put everything on Jesus. That's what I want to ask you to do. 150 years ago, there was a man who uh, was named Charles Blondin. Um, Charles Blondin is probably the most famous tightrope walker that's ever lived. He uh, crossed Niagara Falls on a tightrope over 300 times. (laughs) And uh, again, 150 years ago, he did it in all kinds of weird ways, too. Like one time he pushed a wheelbarrow across because he could. Uh, he walked across it backwards. One time he did handsprings across. One time he took a little stove, went halfway across on it. This is Niagara Falls, okay? Water, a tightrope. Walked halfway across, somehow balanced that stove, lit it, cooked breakfast, and ate it, and then walked the rest of the way across. So this is just ridiculous. And people went nuts. <laughs> like, this guy was world famous 150 years ago. Okay. I mean, there were tightrope walkers in other parts of the world, and Blondin was like a brand. So they were like, oh, you're like, you do the Blondin thing? And I mean, it was like branded. He was branded 150 years ago. The most dangerous thing he ever did, though, and it didn't work out for him in the UK once, but he did this at Niagara Falls. He did it when the president of the United States was present. That's how big of a following 
he had. That's, that's, that's how crazy people were going for what he was doing. So he's on the American side of Niagara Falls, and he's getting ready to go across, and reportedly he turns to the crowd and he says, hey, does anyone want to get on my back and go for a ride? And everybody just kind of laughed, you know, so he went across, did what he did 300 times. So everybody's on this side, including the President of the United States, and they're watching on the other side, the Canadian side, and they're looking and they're like, what is going on? And sure enough, as soon as he steps out on the tightrope and starts walking across, they realize he's got somebody on his back. His manager. His manager's name is Harry Colcord. So his manager's on his back, and he's coming across with this man on his back. So he's got the life of another human being on him. And he's making his way across, making his way across, making his way across. Finally, in all this anticipation and everything, he steps onto solid ground on the United States side. Everybody loses it. They go absolutely nuts. They could not get enough. They admired everything that was about what he just did. But none of them were going to get on his back. None of them were going to get their life to him. Listen, Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, and the crowd was amazed. But Jesus never said, admire me. He never said, like me. He said, follow me. He said stuff like, whoever wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Put your life, put your whole life on me is what he said. Your whole life. Everything. So let me ask you, have you placed your whole life on Jesus? Not do you believe, and I want to make sure you understand something. I also don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm asking if you're a follower. Yes, Jesus took your sin, your guilt, your shame upon himself. If you profess a faith in Jesus Christ today, you have forgiveness and grace We have received from Jesus everything that Jesus wants to give us. But does he have all of you? Does he have all of you? That's what it means to follow. Give him your present. Give him your future as well as that past that he's forgiven. Give him your time, your energy, your resources. Give him your plans, your ideas. Those all go to Jesus. Your relationships. Have you given your relationships, every single one of those relationships, without condition to Jesus? Have you given your goals, your life goals, to Jesus so that they're not your goals, they're his goals for you? Some of you may be even wrestling with a call that God has on your life. This is something I've had to settle for myself. I realized a long time ago that I don't have a call to ministry. God has a call for me to ministry. This is God's call, which means (laughs) I have to go where he wants me to go. I have to do what he wants me to do. I have to give what he wants me to give, not what I want to give or what I want to do. This is where the rubber hits the road. Are you willing to give your allegiance, your loyalties, your work? Will you give everything to Jesus? Will you put everything on Jesus? and follow. Move beyond the admiration. Move beyond 
a recipient. And I want to make sure you're understanding God wants to give you all things. He, wants, he knows the desires of your hearts. He wants to bless you. I really believe that. I don't think that's just a sweet phrase. I do believe he wants you to be blessed, but I also know that there's a huge blessing in knowing that you don't have control over everything, but the king of the universe does. The one who sets the stars in place and breathes and words and worlds appear. Okay. This is the God that we say we worship. God wants to do all of those things, but at the same time, too, have we given God all of ourselves? All of ourselves. Because I'm going to ask you to do something. We don't do this that often. Maybe we should do it more, but um, I'm going to ask you to bow your head if you would. If you would all bow your heads. I'm going to ask you all to, to close your eyes. And what I want to do is I just want to give you a few moments without me talking uh, to talk with God. We're here today because I assume we believe that he would meet us here. And so God is your audience right now. Not me, not your neighbor. With your eyes closed, your head bowed. I just want to encourage you to talk to God. I know a lot of you have already committed your lives to Jesus, which is fantastic. God may be raising issues that you need to pray about right now, so I want to encourage you to pray about that. But I want to speak specifically to those of you who are realizing right now that you need to move to be a follower and not hold anything back. You've received all of Jesus, but you recognize that you need to give him all of you. I want to give you a chance to do that, to express it. I want to ask you to pray. With your eyes closed, your head bowed. Um, again, we don't, we don't do this very often, but um, I just want to invite you to do something else. Um, I want to give you a chance to express this with your body. So I'm going to ask you to just briefly stand up. As a say, way of saying with your body, yeah, I'm, I'm moving to being a follower. Your head's, clo head's bowed, your eyes closed. God, I'm crossing from being an admirer to a follower. I'm going to ask you all to stand if you would. And I'm going to uh, pray here in just a moment. I just want to say a word briefly to you. Jesus will meet you exactly where you are. This is, is amazing to me. Um, Jesus does not require for you to come somewhere for him to do something with you. He comes to where you are. We just celebrated that at Christmas. He is Emmanuel, God right there with you right now. God with us. He will meet you exactly where you are, and I want to encourage you to find another follower of Jesus today and tell them about the decision that you made. I feel like in our church we don't ask a lot of people but one thing that we do want to begin asking is that you begin to plug into doing life with somebody else. 
And uh, we have a need in our church for more people who are willing to lead life groups. Uh, if you want to be in a life group, uh, let, let me know. Let Pastor Ben know. We can create those channels for you. But I want to encourage all of you today to find a follower of Jesus and tell them about the decision that you've made to move and some of the things that you're wrestling with and ask them to pray for you. We're going to be doing that a lot more in our 21 days of prayer. But can I pray for you right now where you're at? Father, I just come before you and recognize today that uh, there's only so much that we can do. There's only so many things that I can do even uh, up here. Uh, in a way, it's just setting the table, but the reality is, Father, you've invited all of us to it, and so I just come before you today, and I'm so grateful for this body of Christ, the people that are in this room, and Father, I know that these messages are a little hard, they're a little heavy, but at the same time, too, there are moments when you spoke, and then you turned, and you looked, and some walked away. Uh, Father, we obviously don't want anybody to walk away, that's not the goal, but Father, you have called us. You've called me, Father, to make disciples. And Father, we know that disciples are more than those who just receive, but those that give of themselves fully to you. So Father, even in my own life today, I just pray that you would show me the things that I'm still holding on to, the things that I hold tightly, even, even those non-physical things, uh, the things like what people think about me. Father, help me to let go of some of that stuff. Father, help me to let go of some of those things and allow you to, to take that space in my life, to take that place in my heart. And Father, help me to forgive, help me to love, help me to grow in grace and mercy today. I pray that for all of us. And Father, as we all move from being likers to followers to, Father, those that are willing to pick up a cross, I pray that you would find in us a church that's ready, Father, and willing to go and do anything that you ask. That's huge, Father. That's, that's so open-ended and it's so scary. But would you create in us the kind of people who will say, I will go where you want me to go, dear Lord. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll give what you want me to give. I will be everything. Father, I give you everything so that your word, Father, may flourish around us in your kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. That's what you're looking for. So Father, help us today to be that church, to be those people. Help us, Father, as we continue to flesh out what it means to be real life. We love you. We praise you. It is in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Make sure you grab somebody you don't know. Introduce yourself. And uh, again, if you're new here, make sure you stop by that welcome desk and get a gift as you leave. Thanks.